It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition, the Sunday edition. Justin Ferguson here. I'm still in Athens, Georgia. Uh, shout out to uh, as we as we said in the pre in the preview podcast, the the premium one uh, that that came out on Friday. First ballot Hall of Famer for the Observer uh, podcast, Jordan Hill. I think he's been on the podcast more than anybody else. Um, I am. In Athens, staying with uh, with him and uh, and his new wife, uh, really enjoying the enjoying the trip. I'm recording this podcast here on Sunday morning before I head back to Auburn. Um, so appreciate Jordan, appreciate the the whole gang for uh, for for helping me out here. But I'm in Athens as Auburn took care of business and then some, uh, beating Georgia by 21 on Saturday night here. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to look ahead to a big Wednesday night game for Auburn at Tennessee. They got a whole lot more interesting yesterday. And then we'll talk a little spring football because that gets underway here in the next couple of days back on the Plains. Speaking of being back on the Plains, that's where Dan Peck is of the Dan Peck Multimedia Empire. Dan, how are we doing? Busy busy week. Uh, a lot of traveling, going to Jonesboro and then Mobile uh, this uh, this week with the Trojans. But did we eat well in Mobile? That was that's my only question. We actually uh, we had a uh, we we had a birthday celebration and um, th- there there were uh, there were crawfish involved. So go. I did I did I did okay for myself uh, in Mobile and uh, and yeah and, and the Trojans picked up a pair of victories as well, including uh, beating the uh, beating the in-state rival. Uh, on Saturday, so yeah, th- things things are going things are going well. Pensacola's coming, and uh, and yeah, got a, got some uh, got, got some exciting Auburn stuff to talk about uh, too. Absolutely, and joining us, folks, he's back. Oh, and and Don't Viva worry. and Viva La Peck Pack, by the way, also one of Viva La Peck Pack, Viva La Peck Pack out there too. Wow, that's a new one, uh, folks. He's back. Uh, you know, he's he, little, little scheduling. Uh, has kept us has kept him off of a couple of premium pods, but he's here on the weekends for you all the time. A man of the people, he's going to be here for the for the free pods for sure. From an undisclosed location where the feds can't catch him, Mister Painter Sharpless on the ones and twos. What's up, Painter? Hello, boys. Dan, you have like Justin done a lot of traveling. Um, I think just generally and also definitely for sports. I I think that a lot of people would agree with me. Rivalry aside, that Athens is one of the most fun college towns, not just in the Southeastern Conference, but broadly speaking, it's probably on a bucket list for a lot of people as a college town worth visiting. So if we take Athens out of the equation, having traveled a lot over the last few years for Troy, and I know it's a little different because of the size and the scope of some of the programs that we're talking about. Is there a favorite of yours right now? Is there one that stands out, whether it was because of the community or the food, or you had some one-off experience with somebody that was like, "Hey, that was that was kind of neat." I, you know, you know, I grew up having grown up in Destin. The trip to Myrtle Beach always makes me nostalgic about uh, about growing up there because they I could see that they have very similar vibes with the cheap souvenir stores and the. Uh, and, and the uh, and and just the, the the total you know sort of really touristy vibe to like the way the way Destin was a long time ago and and how parts of Myrtle Beach are and it's a uh, yeah it's it's always it's always nice to get close to the ocean uh, too and uh, and and I think that the uh, I I love uh, you know Lafayette is a really cool uh, is is a really cool city I've I've gone to some uh, I've 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 ducked into some really some neat spots there so I you know it's one of the cool things about the Troy job is that I feel like. I've gone to cities that it was unlikely 
that there was any other reason I was going to go there anytime soon. Uh, Monroe, Louisiana, Boone, North Carolina, uh, stuff like that. And it's uh, Statesboro, Georgia is cool. So, so yeah, it's a, uh, it's, it's a conference uh, full of unheralded, but very charming college towns. I, we were talking about this last night. Uh, Jordan and I were, uh, and I uh, painter. Uh, this is a, I think this would be an interesting question to pose to you. If you, if you took, Athens, and I'll say we'll take Auburn out of the equation. Like, is there an SEC town or a city that you're just like you you ride hard, pretty hard for? Because like I think, I think the three of us would probably have Athens on the top of our SEC power rankings. I would think, uh, and then you know we'll exclude Auburn just because we all have great attachment to Auburn, and and when you know you're you're gonna have some natural bias there. It, it, who is the, like what is that city f- for you? Um, in, in 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 this uh in this conference and maybe i mean i guess i don't know how much you've spent at places that are not in the sec but like definitely sec towns i think uh you know that's a really heated debate and probably one we've had before on here the easy answer regarding food for me is going to be baton rouge i mm. would say in terms of small town charm um and at least how it presents itself Oxford stands out. Um, yeah. I like the small town thing. I think that's pretty tremendous. I have not spent a lot of time in Gainesville. So I, I've gone through Gainesville. I've been to Gainesville. I've never been on a game day. It's an environment I want to go to for football. But Oh, absolutely. Uh, I, I feel very in the dark about both Gainesville and Columbia. Although based on what I've heard I don't mean to disparage them, but it seems like Columbia, South Carolina is sort of take it or leave yeah, it, you know? Yeah, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Columbia, South Carolina. Yeah, the thing with Gainesville is like, I don't love Gainesville as a town as much as some of these other places, but I mean, game day, I mean, the, the swamp's the loudest place I've ever been in in my life. Like, it is nuts. And that's definitely one worth visiting. I like the after. Here's the thing if I had to make an, uh, make an answer, like, it would probably be like a tier thing for me. And I would say Oxford and Fayetteville are pretty close to one another in terms of like they different kind of situations, but very like they both like kind of you know step up to the plate. And I and I put Baton Rouge. I like Baton Rouge, and you know I'll be going to Knoxville this week. I put Baton Rouge and Knoxville kind of in the same ballpark. Like they're actual cities, you know, uh, especially Baton Rouge. It's like an actual city, the college area around campus. Though if you just limited to that, even. Uh, that it's it, those are great times as well. There, there aren't very many bad places, and I've always said like you know I, I like Starkville more than most people because of the restaurants in Starkville. I know Starkville doesn't really have a lot going on, but yeah, um, I would still put it. I, I've had decent experiences in Columbia, South Carolina. I just don't like it. I don't like the way it's kind of set up. And uh, for some reason, I don't know if you saw this this week, Painter, but apparently Manchester United and Liverpool are going to play a friendly at Williams Bryce in Columbia. In early August, I was like, they're gonna die. It's gonna be like 130 degrees out there. Yeah, and Columbia's my, all like metal and concrete. Like it is it is gonna be blazing hot there. My dad was stationed in um in South Carolina at at Shaw, which is an Air Force base not too far from uh fr- from Columbia. And and so when when I get to visit Columbia, it still makes me a little bit nostalgic for when I was a kid and, and I went to went, went to a game there and, and saw parts of the city. There used to be uh, Sticky Fingers was a chain. I don't know if they still have Sticky Fingers around there in South Carolina, but it was it was uh always one in Chattanooga. That that was that was, was a kid, a staple of visiting uh, South Carolina. It, you're going to be in Knoxville. I was there with the Trojans 
earlier this season, and uh, you should check out the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame uh, when you're there. If you if you have a uh, if you have the chance, the uh, uh, the the museum and and it's it's a, a really really cool uh, thing that they've set up there in Knoxville, uh, close to it's it's pretty close to the football stadium, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, but it's it yeah right right on campus, and and that's that's and, and I should also talk about Sunbelt Towns. San Marcos has a uh, an in and out and a Torchies. Which is oh, a well, which, yeah right which which I think that's, puts that's you, every college kid's dream right there. W- there should be one if Justin Ferguson was in charge. There'd be there'd be one of those in every college town in America, right? Absolutely, like that's, that's, um, both of those. Yes, for sure. Absolutely, no 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 doubt about it. Um, all right, let's get down to business, folks. Let's get down to business. Auburn beats Georgia by twenty one, and fellas, this game. I don't think it was surprising that Auburn won, but in the fashion that they won, and then just the 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 developments that come out of this win, I don't know if you could ask for a better performance out of Auburn in this. You talk about not having Jalen Williams for your first game. You make three changes to the starting lineup. Chaney Johnson comes in uh, for for Jalen Williams. Chad Baker Mazzara, who we thought this would be probably the way they would go. Chad Baker Mazzara in for Chris Moore. Chris Moore kind of moves to a backup four spot. Um, but Chad Baker-Mazzara comes in to help pick up the the load on offense. And then the real surprise, I think, for a lot of folks was Aiden Holloway getting the start over Trey Donaldson. That was kind of more of a matchup and combo thing. Uh, Bruce Pearl said after the game, um, you know, noting he actually said this before the game in pregame radio, uh, and it was a really, really good point. Um, I can't remember who pointed it out to me on Twitter, but you know who you are, and I, and I appreciate it. Um, but Aiden Holloway and Janai Broom play – better together and Trey Donaldson and Dylan Carwell play better together. And so they were kind of staggering it that way, even though there was a lot of mixing and matching going on and guys like this was, this was a game where Auburn, so many great developments. When you talk about the shooting 14, three pointers, a tie to season high, one of their best three point shooting performances on in the road in years. you talk about Chad Baker, Mazzara's incredible game. And obviously um, as a lot of people learned after the game, the 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 fuel to his fire in that game with the, the sudden passing of an assistant coach is who died at the age of thirty earlier this week. Um, you, you've got you've got Cheney Johnson first career D one start has a monster game uh, for Auburn. Janiah Broom has a has a killer second half. Aiden Holloway catches fire at the end of the game towards the end of the game and gets his confidence back going going five of eight from deep. It was just kind of Dan. It was like like. If you could have checked a lot of boxes and said it would be great if Auburn could do this, 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 and this in a game, that that probably would have hit a lot of them. Even a couple that you maybe folks didn't really expect going into it. It's a f- fantastic game, fantastic win for Auburn. But I think I think just as much as the win, I think this is this is a you know Chad Baker after the game talked a lot about confidence. This has got to be a confidence booster for so many guys in this rotation. With a trip to Knoxville coming up as well, I mean, with with a, mm-hmm. a challenge that could put as uh, as as folks point out now, you know, this is a, a game that could have Auburn uh, at in, in first place if they can pull off the, the road victory in Knoxville. So this is a a serious confidence boost for a team that it's not, it's not like they, I mean, lo- losing to Kentucky and losing Jalen Williams for. Uh, at, at least a couple of weeks, uh, it it could have it could have been very damaging. The bye week coupled with you know we discussed on the drive, Justin, the possibility of yeah may, maybe you're not going to see too much Cheney and Chris Moore together. It's not going to be as simple as just sliding Cheney Johnson into the Jalen Williams role and keeping everything else the same. There could be 
fallout around the lineup because you need to figure out ways to replace what Jalen Williams was doing, especially offensively. I think that there's a belief that between uh, you know between playing Dylan and Janai together and and adding more minutes to Cheney's load and uh, sliding Chris to the four at times defensively that they can they can handle what what Jalen Williams was providing in his 25 30 minutes without overextending anybody the question was where is the offense that Jalen had been providing where was that going to come from and the answer well it was it was Chad Baker Mazzara Chaney Johnson I mean Lior's Lior's minutes were mm-hmm. important because I think they helped uh you know they helped keep the other guys from being overexposed and then, uh, as you pointed out, some some serious contributions uh, from the freshman point guard as well. Panner, when you look back at this game, what do you think is going to stand out? There's so many things from this one, but what do you think is going to stand out the most to you, or just kind of say, "Hey, this was this was the the most significant thing for me." You know, whether it was a player, or, you know, just because uh, there's so many to pick from, and we'll definitely talk about all of them in, in detail. But what what stood out to you the most from? the way Auburn played and how they were able to take care of business in Athens. There was a moment in the game where Georgia battled and there was some life in the arena. It felt like if things had shifted, that Auburn could have been in a bit of a battle for the rest of the second half. And then you looked up and it wasn't very close. Auburn was having a good time. Georgia wasn't. Now, I don't know if that means a whole lot for this team or not, because we've seen them beat teams like Georgia that are fine teams or that are even perhaps a little under average. There is something about being on the road and and finding a way not mm-hmm. only to win the game, but eventually, you know, you start playing really good ball. As Dan points out, you'd like to think that, that some of that carries over to Tennessee, but my only hesitancy in going that far is like Auburn has, you know, understandably not played as well against that upper uh, echelon of team. Here's an interesting parallel that Bruce Pearl came up with after the game, and he talked about it this week heading into it. The Final Four team, and he's not saying this team's going to win the final, you know, win the SEC tournament, run all the way to the Final Four, but it's a parallel. That Final Four team, pretty good defensive team all year long. They went at Georgia on the road, big three pointer by Chumo Kiki late in that game. Auburn shot exceptionally well. I think they hit 12 threes in that game. And then that was the run that started the run. And he was and 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 he used that as an example. He's like, look, you guys are awesome on defense. Like Auburn is still top five defense, number one in effective field goal percentage, still like this is an elite defense. You just gotta hit shots, especially when they're open. And Georgia gave them plenty of opportunities to hit open shots, and they did. And I'm not saying this is the start of a magical run like it was in 2019, but we have seen this script before from Auburn, where towards the end of the you know. As rough as Auburn shot in games like the Kentucky game, like the Mississippi State game, like the Florida game, like several, even some wins they've had this season, as as rough as they've shot in them, a lot of that, Dan, can be wiped out if you get hot at the right time. And you've got two weeks left in the regular season. You've got, outside of the Tennessee game, you get, you're get getting a, a lot more favorable schedule than the rest of the pack of contenders in the SEC. Can you just hit shots? And the fact that they did it away from home, I mean, Auburn was one of the worst three-point shooting teams in America in road games heading into this heading into this one. And they had one of their best three-point shooting performances in years in this one. Uh, and, and, I mean, I think it's just that confidence that you just feel like, are they going to do it against Tennessee? Probably not. Tennessee is an elite defense in its own right. But when you talk about just getting hot and having confidence 
And I think you saw that in the faces of Aiden Holloway and Chad Baker-Mazar and Chaney Johnson and those guys. Like it, it, it goes a long, long way for this team as they try to you know accomplish their goals. Once you show possession of a skill, you're capable of doing that thing mm-hmm. forever, right? Like once you've shown you're able to do something, like it, you know, I I don't know about the likelihood of it, but for Auburn to shoot. The, the way they did in Athens. You, you know what their ceiling is. I think that's what yeah. that's like, like what Painter was saying. And and yeah, to hit, to hit 14 threes and, and not to be lost in the way Auburn shot the ball from deep. And we should mention Katie Johnson as well, because I feel like he had he had a role in some of those. So, you know, the, the, the momentum Auburn was able to pick up on some of those runs. Auburn was 22 of 32 from two against against Georgia in this game. Like they were able to. Uh, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was surgical. At times, the way they the way they carved a Georgia up, and and like Painter said, Georgia cut it to three, and we've seen a lot of basketball games where once the road once the uh, you know once the road team's lead has has whittled away like that, uh, the home team has the advantage down the stretch, and for Auburn to for Auburn to snuff that out uh, the way they did, uh, it was uh, it was it was a really impressive performance. So. Two things there. Number one, you talk about the off- carving them up on offense. Auburn's offensive efficiency in this game was 143.4. According to Ken Palm, that is the fifth best for an Auburn game since 99, which is when Ken Palm numbers really started. Um, four of the top 10 games in offensive efficiency in Auburn since 99 have happened this season. Okay. Two of the top four have happened in the past two weeks. South Carolina and Georgia. That's that says a lot about this team and what they are capable of at their ceiling. Like there are times where this team gets into a rut on offense and they can't hit shots and they're having a hard time making things happen. That's also college basketball. There are not very many teams in the country that have a ceiling like Auburn does on offense, especially not teams as we saw. I think we saw on Saturday with what Alabama and Kentucky did having that offensive ceiling while also carrying a very consistently strong defense. I mean, how many times has Auburn had a bad game on defense this year? Once, twice, maybe. So, I mean, that, that again, that, 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 that goes a long, long way. To your point about, uh, you know, need, needing production on, on both ends. It's, it's been a, a talking point on social media lately that a lot of your national champions over the last mm-hmm. 20, 30 years have been teams that, by the end of the regular season, they were a top 30 offense and they were a top 30 defense, according to metrics like Ken Palm. And I don't know exactly where Auburn would, would rank uh, as a, you know, but as an offense season long. Uh, but what you, you know, as you just said, a couple of the best performances we've seen by any team offensively under Bruce Pearl have happened in the last couple of weeks. Last night was one of them, uh, according to the, uh, according to the numbers. And especially when you think about, Having it with without having a night like that without Jalen Williams and how much he had produced yeah. for the team going into uh, g- going into Saturday and for it to be not it was the first start for a couple of players but it was also you know that was because you were without a key piece and and for the team to produce like this without him it's a uh, uh, it, it's it's a really it's really impressive how many different players and I think so, someone someone said this at the press conference maybe it was Chad. Like how many different players stepped their game up 
in the absence of Jalen Williams. And they had to. They absolutely had to. My second point from earlier, Dan, you were talking about how, like, yeah, when a team makes a comeback at home, you feel like, oh, they've got the momentum, they got the edge. Here's the difference in this game compared to the other games we've seen out of Georgia this year. Heading into this matchup, we talked about it with Jordan. Bruce Pearl talked about it a lot uh, in the buildup to this game. Tennessee, Alabama, uh, Florida, South Carolina. Those are all teams that fell behind early. In some, in some cases, fell behind big early against Georgia and had to whittle their way back. And Georgia kind of ran out of gas um, playing from ahead in the second half. This game, the new starting lineup immediately makes an impact. Auburn's got a seven-point lead rather quickly. And they play from – they were up by double digits for most of the first half. Um, and they stayed ahead and they stayed ahead. And then when Georgia made that run in the second half, a lot of it from free throws, when Georgia made that run in the second half, they had to exert all that energy just to get back and make it a game again. And so for Auburn, a, a deeper team, a well-rested team coming off that, that, that off week, they were able to do something that the Alabamas and Tennessees and Floridas and South Carolinas weren't able to do in Stegman this year because they got off to such a good start. And they got off to a good start with that new look starting lineup. And it's going to be interesting to see how much of that was matchup-based, how much is that that's going to carry over. It was a quiet game for Trey Donaldson. Didn't play a ton uh, in the second half, but that was okay for Auburn because Aiden Holloway was as playing as well. He has led the team in plus-minus. This is a guy who has had some struggles in SEC play. Um, played excellently in this one. And, you know... Chris Moore didn't play a ton, but he was just kind of in case of emergency break glass with all the with all the the stuff going on at uh, in the front court. And Auburn wanted to run that double, you know, big lineup that we talked about with Janai Broom and Dylan Carwell on the floor together. That was super super effective against what Georgia was running. So weird out of whack rotations. The foul trouble got Auburn uh, kind of crazy in that one. But the fact that they were deeper and fresher, just I mean, they really got to lay it on Georgia there and go on that run in the second half because of it. And again, this is a this is another opportunity to point out, like in an era of college basketball where players are coming from anywhere, like you can find guys at the international level, you can find them coming from American high schools, you can find them in the transfer portal, junior college, like like this is for for Auburn to be able to assemble this roster. Like the starting lineup last night was was two two mid major transfers a player they signed from junior college, a player making his first career start who was playing D2 basketball last year, and Holloway, who's a, a five-star high school freshman, but but the way they like the the way they 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 found the ingredients for, for this recipe, the way they were able to, to to figure out the coaching staff that is, what was able to figure out uh, the, the right pieces. And I mean obviously all credit to the players themselves, but you have so many options these days and to find ones that fit the way I think especially when you think about Chad Baker Mazzara uh, I, I don't know how many players who were in junior college last year are contributing in the SEC right now it's it's not all that commonplace especially in a transfer portal era for someone to take the step from JUCO to the SEC and make the kind of impact on a contender that Chad Baker Mazzara is making and I would say that I'm I'm sure that Cheney Johnson is the mm -hmm. only is the only guy who was a D two player last year on an SEC contender uh, contributing minutes and and playing well oh, yeah. and and to find guys at that level 
who can play uh, to gamble and, and be and and be on the money like that is a uh, I mean it's a testament to uh, the uh, analysis and the scouting and the recruiting that Bruce Perlin is and his staff are doing. Penner, can you remember anybody here recently on Auburn basketball that has been like? plugged in immediately to the team culture and energy as much as Chad Baker Mazzari is. Like, he has looked, I mean, coming off the bench, he's he's been a key player, obviously. But from the very beginning, he's looked at it like a dude who's like, he looks like he's been playing basketball at Auburn for all four years of his, of his college career. It's not the best comparison because college basketball, college sports have changed so much. Uh, but Samir seemed to do well. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're talking about is not just that Chad is valuable as clearly he's a productive player, but his personality seems to work so well with members of this team. Again, Chad playing with a lot on his mind and on his heart. Uh, if you haven't watched the interview after the game with SEC Network, definitely watch it. Um, it is very emotional. Um, and he talked to us some, you know, after the game about it as well. But, you know, for a guy like Chad Baker Mazzara, I mean, you think about it, Dan, like, he came to high school from the DR and then he went to a then he went to a prep school and then he went to Duquesne and then he went to San Diego State and then he went to Northwest Florida State and now he's at Auburn. That's six straight years, six different schools. You know, how many dudes have we seen over the years in basketball where they hop around schools a ton for one reason or another and they're never quite the same because of that change just it hurts them trying to lock in and, and try to be this dude's adaptability is insane. And I think it's part of the reason why he's been able to play so well from the beginning is that this guy has rolled with the punches more than more than most guys I can remember in his spot. And I think last night was an example where you talk about, you know, his a coach that he is in, you know, a, an assistant coach uh, when he was in high school in New Jersey who still checked in on him all the time, talked to him very constantly you know, dies suddenly. And I mean, I can't imagine the weight that puts on a kid before a big game, a game where he knew he was going to have to step up. He knew his team was going to count on him to help carry the load without Jalen Williams. And he goes out from the very beginning. I mean, he had eight points in like four minutes, the first four minutes of the game. And I mean, just a phenomenal game. And it's, it's easy to see why Auburn fans have gravitated towards him from the very beginning. But I mean, man, you, you talk about a guy who who had it all going for him, for him last night. He's he's just, he's been huge. He's been huge. And again, like you were saying earlier, a key to Auburn being a contender in the SEC this year was a guy they picked up from junior college. And I know he played D one ball before then, but that's not a that's not a scenario where where a lot of a lot of teams are are scouting that. Like they're not they're not trying to find. Hey, can we get an impact player from Northwest Florida State? Now I know Kentucky recruited him and Texas A and M recruited him and others did, but like. It's it's special. That's that's the best way to put it. Chad Baker Mazar is a special player. It's it's more common at the Sun Belt level, the mid major level, oh, for, sure, a junior, yeah. for a junior college player to step in. You'll and just then, go if, take a whole JUCO with and, you. And, and then if a, and then if a if a player excels enough, maybe they will then make the jump uh, to to the power conference level and get an opportunity there. But what Chad Baker Mazar is, is doing is uh, is you no, know, it's remarkable. Uh, go Raiders. Obviously, uh, Northwest Florida State, uh, a, a place uh, I, I'm uh, I, I know and love. Uh, but it's a uh, a shout out to Ramsey Ross, who's the. I always thought it was cool that the athletic director uh, had a rap had a rapper 
style name. Ram- Ramsey Ross <laughs> is the uh, is is the uh, is, is the is the AD down there. He does a he does a great job. And the, uh, the, the Chad Baker Mazar he's he's a fit on the court as a Bruce Pearl style player. Like his attributes fit what Bruce Pearl is looking for at the three, maybe at the four if the team's trying to go small. Uh, but he's uh, he's he's somebody who he's he's a he's a natural fit to to Bruce's uh, to Bruce's preferred style of basketball. And then off the court, he seems to be a great fit for this roster. And and what what's the what's the story of? I mean, he he sort of took command in the in the second half and was the yeah, one what was was the one in the huddle uh, providing a lot of the leadership. Uh, it's 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 he is that guy who's kind of been the vocal guy the tone setter and you've got leaders on this team obviously Jalen Williams but everybody knows Jalen Williams is a little bit more of a soft-spoken guy you know Jani Broom definitely the leader with the way he plays and the way you know uh, definitely the way he lands but not the guy who's going to be the rah rah rally the troops dude you got to have a couple of those dudes Chad's been one of them obviously KD has been one no surprise that those guys are roommates really really close friends speaking of KD you need Speaking you need uh, before before you make a KD point. You need lighter fluid sometimes, right? Sure. Yeah. Like sometimes sometimes you get you know fires going up, going down. You need you need you know a spritz of lighter fluid. I feel like that's Chad Baker Mazzara with with this you know off off the court with what he can provide. Yeah. Uh, you know the, uh, the the ignition that that he can provide to a uh, uh, to this team when when the fire's starting to go out. Let's talk about KD for a little bit. I thought when we talk about Auburn shooting, Denver Jones hitting a couple of corner threes, some big pull up jumpers also in this game. First half, really, I mean, I feel like that's, like Aiden Holly, that's another added dimension to this offense, that if that comes more regularly, watch out, this team could get really, really scary. I look at the defense in this game. You know, uh, there was a, there was a point, I think it was like 12 minutes into the, into the first half, Georgia only had like 14 points. Um, and they had hit some shots early, but then they they went like three or four to start the game, and then went eleven, like missed eleven of their next thirteen. Like this was a it's a game for Auburn where their defense really liked him. We talked about it with our buddy Jordan Hill on 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 Friday. This Georgia team, I don't think they want to do this, but this Georgia team has to be three point dependent, and Auburn just did not let them get there, uh, even when they switched it up with some zone. Bruce said after the game that was, hey, Mike White's a great offensive coach. He's got great offensive calls against man-to-man defense, so we just didn't want him to get it, get comfortable. Um, Georgia hits only three threes in this game. One of the, I think it was their worst three-point shooting performance of the season. Auburn ran them off the line. They did a really, really good job. It just kind of took what Georgia liked away from them. And then the fouls, uh, look – it was a ton of like it was just it was just so whistle happy in the first half and then early in the second half where felt like every bump was getting called a lot of stuff away from the basket was getting called and Auburn went nearly like it was like five or six minutes without a foul call on them in the second half and that's when they made their huge run they adjusted right I do think the whistle got a little bit more favorable obviously Georgia started getting called for some more fouls but they adjusted this defense. Katie Johnson played like 14 or 15 straight minutes, and they just left him out there because after not playing very well in the first half, he was he was a nightmare for Georgia's guards to try to get around and, and get through, and they just stuck with it. Not to say Denver Jones wasn't playing well, and I think it's the same thing kind of like with Aiden and Trey. Not to say that Trey was terrible. Not to say Trey, you know, he, he didn't have a great game overall, but like not to say that he was unplayable. It was just... Hey, this it's just working a little bit more with this guy right now. Not to say Chris Moore wasn't valuable for Auburn 
Uh, it could have been valuable for Auburn in these games. I was like, well, well, the other matchups were working more. And when you're coming off of a week where you've had a few days of extra rest, you just lean on that. Uh, but th- this Auburn defense, I mean, once again, Dan, like they're just so good at just saying, like, hey, this is what you're good at. All right, you can't do that. We're not going to let you do that in this game. And I think that's why the teams that have had the most success on them this year have either done things that they're not used to doing. I think of App State hitting a ton of threes and then not hitting threes again for the rest of the year. Or a team like Florida where they just Florida just had everything working for them. Front court, back court, inside, outside. They just did everything right in that game. And, and Georgia's not a team Kentucky that too, I, should say. I, I would say a difference between Georgia and contenders in the SEC this year. Georgia's not a team that can comfortably go to plan B or plan C on offense. Other teams will say, okay, well, if you're going to concede the paint, to defend the three-point line, will will be perfectly comfortable adjusting and and becoming a team that that attacks the paint more than we normally do, or or vice versa. If you're going to try to pack it in, you know, t- teams will will try to shoot. We've seen teams that have success against Auburn uh, employ those kind of uh, you know they, they have to they have to go to Plan B or Plan C. Uh, Georgia, it it just uh, when they when they had to go to things that weren't necessarily the strength of the team, uh, they uh, they they really struggled. Uh, especially when 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 Auburn uh, got rolling down the stretch, uh, the, the the you mentioned Chris Moore and how the yeah, Auburn could you know could still need him uh, in in games coming up. I would say that's also that that's also a, a pretty interesting point regarding Aiden and Trey, right? Like just because Aiden Holloway played twenty eight minutes and seemed to have something of a breakthrough, getting to see some three pointers go in uh, and uh, and and taking. Yeah, I, I think that the shot selection uh, took took a step forward uh, for uh, for Aiden Holloway too. I don't I don't Absolutely. know if I was I don't I don't know if I was sitting there. You know, th- I mean, there was maybe one or two, uh, but 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 I thought he was he was taking in rhythm good looks. Uh, and the for, thing for with Aiden those, is some of those made baskets. And the thing with Aiden is, what would be a bad shot for most guys is a good shot for him. It's just it's just how naturally gifted he is, as and and talented he is as as a, as a scorer and a shooter. I mean, he's just he's pure man, like. Again, I'm not supposed to sit here and tell you everything I see at practice because, like, that's not, you know, that's the agreement we make with Auburn. But, like, I can't tell you how many times I've been to practice this season and watch Aiden go on an unreal tear shooting the ball. And it's like, he's capable of it. It's like you were saying earlier, Dan, you showed that skill. It, it's like, it's it didn't go away. It, you know, it just might not always come as frequently. And for Auburn, this was a game that they, they showed that. Uh, and Aiden showed that. It was a big thing for Shaney Johnson. I, I want to say this: we, we've we've mentioned him several times here, but I want to point out great game for him. One of the things about Cheney that he he was really good on defense. The thing about Cheney, and we saw it a little bit with Chad, but we saw it a ton with Cheney in this game. You watch them drive to the basket, and you see where Cheney Johnson's athleticism is such a weapon. How many times did Cheney Johnson go up in the air and then was able to like? Do seven different things in the air with the ball and 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 finish like the, that leaping ability where he just kind of floats up there. He can do so much, and it's just a he's just a really really dangerous player. He played with a lot of confidence. He wasn't shy. He took a couple of threes, um, you know, kind of early on to get it because they were open. Speaking of taking threes, Dylan Carwell hit one, and I mean, not only did Dylan Car- Carwell hit one in rhythm, straight up like knock it down. And if he had hit that second one to get to a hundred. It would have been like that would have been one of the craziest games I've ever seen, period, in my life from, from from an Auburn offense. But these dudes, like even guys who don't shoot, even guys who don't play for Leo Berman's a great example of this as well. Guys who aren't offensive weapons for this team, they come into this game and it's just the uh, confidence. It's confidence. 
late in the season, you're getting guys to step up like this. And again, that just makes you a dangerous team because it makes you a tougher team to scout against, prepare for, X, Y, and Z. I believe there was a moment during the game where where Cheney Johnson jumped in the air, his his uniform ripped, and he pulled out a sewing kit and he fixed it before before coming it went down. Full right? Dana in the air. Yeah, it was I was it was unbelievable. No, what that what that guy can do. The and and I'm sure you know be, being able to see it up close and in practice and things like it, you know you you see uh, examples of the athleticism that they're it just you know folks folks sometimes don't quite realize what they're seeing. Last thing on this game, I want to I want to say. If you haven't read it yet, you haven't heard it yet, the absolute coldest line of the year by any Auburn basketball player. Chad Baker Mazzara on his big uh on his big performance against Georgia. I believe it was our buddy Nathan King who asked him, hey, kind of what was working for you early on? Here's his quote. To be honest, I just realized the guy in front of me couldn't guard me. So I told Coach, let's take advantage of that. I mean, that's uh, when you just are like, I got you, but like, and Chad's not like Chad'll talk, Chad'll talk. He had the he had the the I'm him moments. They had the had the uh, had the text in this game also, which double texts are the coward's way out always, always and forever. But Painter, it's like we in our years of doing this show and like then going back in radio, we have had a lot of great quotes that we could go back on. I, I knew that they could he couldn't guard me. It's one of like for a guy to just say that after a game. It was absolutely true too. But like again, it just goes to you like why this dude's a fan favorite. And I mean the feeling the feeling it has to be. I you know I don't know if you ever felt this way on the soccer field. I never felt this way on the basketball court. I I, I never I never got to any point in my athletic career where I was like whoever is whoever's having to like defend me or be in charge of guarding me or whatever be responsible for me they can't do it they can't do it I got them I I never had that feeling in my life so I can't imagine what that feeling is like when you're able when you're able to just say nope you you right there you're mine it's over sometimes a calmly told truth can be violent incredibly violent. Great quote, great win, great performance for Auburn. We'll see how they how they carry that into the Tennessee game. We'll talk the Tennessee game here shortly, but first, let's take care of some business. First off, hello, folks. If you like this show and you lo- you want more of it, we do this twice a week. You get this one for free on the weekends, and then in the during the week, we have our other show just for subscribers. Uh, it's six dollars a month or sixty dollars a year to subscribe, and we give you something pretty much every day of the week whether it is a newsletter or a podcast, emailed straight to your inbox. A lot of basketball, a lot of football, analysis, mailbags, um, nerd stuff, stat stuff, film room stuff. I mean, just a ton of things. If you want deeper dives into Auburn football and men's basketball, go to The Observer. Uh, A lot of you who are listening are subscribers, and we appreciate you for it. But uh, we know some of you like to listen to the free shows. It's a great time to jump on because spring football starting this week, stretch one for basketball. I mean, this is this is probably the best time to capitalize on a subscription. So check that out. Links in the description. Uh, there's buttons on the emails. You can just go to auburnobserver.com and sign up that way as well. It's super, super easy. Also, Painter, how can they help us out without any more money down? Rate, review, and follow the show wherever you listen to your podcast. Helps us out a ton. Whatever app you use, however way you can help us out, let us know. Five stars, comments. All that good stuff. It helps us out a ton. Also, you can check out homefieldapparel.com, ladies and gentlemen, for the number one place to buy Auburn gear 
we're talking the most comfortable t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, crewnecks, um, joggers, hats, what have you. A lot of really cool Auburn designs on there. And then there, if there are schools that you love that aren't Auburn, or you just like their designs, Homefield's got plenty of that stuff too. They're also dipping their toes into the racing market. They had a great NASCAR drop this week. Um, awesome, awesome stuff. Uh, if you've ever been a fan of the Jeff Gordon, like a rainbow, uh, you know, uh, theme, uh, we talked a little bit of NASCAR with our, with our buddy Jordan last week, uh, Dan and I did. So it's a good time to hop on that. You can get a 15% off your first order at homefieldapparel.com using the promo code observer23 at checkout. You can also get the official Auburn Observer t-shirt on there. Just search Auburn Observer at homefieldapparel.com. All right, fellas, things got interesting yesterday in the SEC. We talked about Auburn needing to have this win just to still stay in the hunt pretty much for um, the SEC title. Well, now they're just one game back with four to play, and it gets super interesting Wednesday night against Tennessee because Tennessee whips up on Texas A&M last night, but before that, Kentucky was the final. 117? Was it? It was, it was something along those lines. I, I saw that they had 100 and something with several minutes left, and they kind of called off the dogs. Kentucky puts a hurting on Alabama. So Tennessee and Alabama are tied for top of the SEC race with two weeks left to play. Auburn and South Carolina. South Carolina goes on the road and beats Ole Miss. Kind of a tough spot to be in if you're Auburn. We talk about quad one and all that. and Auburn now has an opportunity with Mississippi State winning at LSU. That is a quad one game here next Saturday. Uh, Mississippi State and 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 uh, Auburn will be. The issue is, I think Ole Miss has now lost five out of the last six, something like, something like that. That has fallen out. That, that road win in Oxford has fallen out of quad one territory. Now, it can still get back in there, but Ole Miss is going to have to pick it up. So just keep an eye, eye on that. Could be the difference between a three seed or a four seed for Auburn in the tournament if they get hot. Who knows? Maybe even a two seed. But... uh just kind of keep 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 an eye on that, kind of eyeball that there. But, fellas, this is this is what you wanted to be, right? I think if you would have looked at the beginning of the year and said, "Hey, with two weeks left to go, fourth fourth to last last game of the season, Dan Auburn's going to go to Tennessee with a shot to stay in the SEC title race," you'd take that if you were Auburn. I, I think I think everybody involved would have would have taken that 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 uh, that arrangement wholeheartedly because. I don't know if this is necessarily what we thought this team was going to be heading into the year, um, but they are in that spot now and, and and getting closer and closer to locking down a top four spot. And Alabama's performance yesterday doesn't necessarily leave you believing they're going to go two and zero against Tennessee at home and Florida on the road. So the door Especially might be- playing defense like that. Nate Oates, Nate Oates went scorched earth on that defense. He probably should. That defense has been been pretty bad at times this year. Yeah. So so I'm thinking. Uh, if an Auburn team that can win out, the door is open. You know, if you if you knock off Tennessee and take care of business in the following three games, the, the you know that there could be uh, the, there could be a path to a regular season conference title or at least a share of the regular season conference title, depending on what happens uh, with with Alabama uh, and, and assuming a lot about what happens in the three games following uh, the Tennessee game. And also, you gotta you gotta win in Knoxville, which is one of the one of the tougher draws in college basketball with the way Tennessee has played of late. So uh, it's you're, you're right. It's where you want to be. You know when this when 
conference play started, we said that this game loomed and and looked like a a heavyweight title fight based on on how the two teams had played uh, going into SEC play and the way they started SEC play and and even without Jalen Williams, I, I don't think that's changed. Like this is a uh, th- this is a game that will have the world of college basketball paying attention uh, to, to to the matchup. I mean, this is two teams with you know two 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 real uh, Final Four contenders. Uh, mm-hmm. Playing each other for, uh, you know, with 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 huge regular season title implications, and it's and it's also great to get a like for this late in the season, two teams to be playing for the first time, right? Because usually we're in rematch territory, and and for two teams to meet up, uh, the the way Auburn and Tennessee are going to play on on Wednesday night, like this is, it's it's going to be, uh, it, it's going to be a happening in college basketball. It should be a monster game, and. Yeah, Auburn and Tennessee are very similar in the fact that they both have elite defenses. And then what their ceilings on offense are super high. Obviously, Tennessee with Dalton Connect, best scorer in the SEC, pure scorer in the SEC, I think. And I maybe one of the best in the country, all, all told. When he gets hot, it gets crazy. He's the guy Ziggler. When he's playing well, it's awesome. Jonas Idu has, has had a great season. Like, like Auburn, when Tennessee's hitting shots, and distributing the ball and taking care of it, they can beat anybody, and, and their and their ceiling super high. We've seen uh, Tennessee's now won four straight. You know they went to A and M and laid an egg there. They've won four straight games. Three of them have been absolute blowouts, and the other one was that really weird game against Missouri earlier this week when they struggled for most of that game, but then ended up pulling it out of the end. Again, it's like. That doesn't, you know, them struggling against Missouri doesn't mean that Tennessee is a fraud. It's just every college basketball game takes on a life of its own. And when Tennessee's good, they're really, really good. And when they're off, they're capable of struggling and losing to pretty much anybody that we've seen them lose at home to South Carolina. We've seen them struggle on the road with the Missouri team. I don't know if you saw this. Missouri, Missouri got beat uh, by Arkansas on, on Saturday. Uh, what's his face for Arkansas? Had 42. <laughs> that one, like, Again, that was a team that couldn't hold off Arkansas, yet you know gave Tennessee the fight of their lives like earlier in the earlier in the week. So every game is different, but like Dan, like this is like it's going to be such an interesting chess match because both of these teams have their A game. It could be nuts, but the last few times we've seen these two teams play in Knoxville, it hasn't been the chess match, it has been the rock fight. It has been two defenses slamming themselves against you. And if that happens again Wednesday, I won't be totally surprised because defense has been both of those these teams' consistently strong points this year. Is A&M a disappointment this year? I did, yeah. 15 and 12 uh, overall, 6-8 uh, and eight, uh, in the conference. I don't know that they're a tournament team right now. So we're, we're going to get to the point where, towards the end of the year where I'm going to go look back at what, like, and I'm, a, I'm an idiot, and I don't like to do predictions, but I was asked to do the uh, preseason ballot you know, for the SEC this year. I think I'm going to look back at the end of the year and be like, wow, I was, re- I, was, I, was, I was too high on A&M, I was too high on Missouri, and I was too high on Vanderbilt. And I think all of us were a little too high on Arkansas, but I mean, it, maybe A&M as well. And then you look at, like, who was I too low on? The end of the year, it's going to end up being. I was a little too low on Auburn. I was definitely too low on South Carolina. Everybody was too low on South Carolina. 
Like sure. that people yeah. that, that that everyone was certain that was a bottom four team in, in the conference coming into the year. And and, 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 I, and I'll tournament say, team. And I'll say, like, I think I was you know, I was probably a little too low on Mississippi State as well. Um, but I don't know. It's just yeah, A and M, I yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is there. Um, this is a team that brought back I mean, they had the preseason SEC player of the year. And it's not like Wade Taylor's bad, but like he, they had so much experience coming back. It's crazy to me that uh, Buzz Williams has won the SEC Coach of the Year award twice in five years at A and M, and there's a chance that he's going to be 500 or very close to 500 in league play after five years at at that school uh, in in his tenure. That's wild. Like it's yeah, I mean it, it and, and without without a tournament victory either, they have not won an NCAA tournament game in five in five years. But I think he's a very good coach. Uh, I could see if if this season ends with a thud, hot seat next year. Potentially, I don't, I don't. I don't know. It's a. It's a. Uh, it's a disappointing season uh, for, uh, for for Texas A and M, and that uh, you know that has to. I mean, it, it only got worse with what Tennessee did to them. I mean, yesterday they marched right through uh, the. Uh, they, they marched right through A and M, and that's a a Tennessee team. Connect gets a lot of the, uh, uh, the a lot of the press right now, but uh, Viscovi and Ziggler are as good a pair of guards as you're going to see. You know, on on a on on a great team. In college basketball right now, so I think that's a um, it's it's a daunting matchup for anyone in the league to go to Knoxville and win. Uh, but Auburn, you know, I, I think that's that's got to be a team brimming with confidence after the way they the, after the way they delivered in Athens. The the big one I, I want to keep an eye on in this game, the big stat that I'm looking at in this game is going to be three point shooting for Tennessee. We have seen Auburn against Alabama. We saw it against Georgia last night. We've seen it other times. Being able to run a team off the three point line. And being able to contribute, you know, so much as a team defensively, everybody playing their part is big. You look at it this season, Tennessee as a team uh, is 21 and six. They've lost six games this year. Okay. You look at the numbers, Tennessee is undefeated this year when they shoot 33% or better from deep. All their losses have come when they're 33% or worse from deep. When they're below twenty nine percent, which is tough. I mean, like that that's a bad shooting game. They're one in five. So if Auburn can run them off the line, get them off their spots, and really uh, the other thing is gonna be second chance opportunities. All right. Tennessee is a team uh that is you know, sixty fourth in the country in offensive rebounding percentage. They don't turn it over a lot. When they when they're off with their shot, they have a hard time winning. But they get second chance looks. They take care of the ball. They've got gifted scores. They got a lot of experience. This has got to be a game where again, what does Bruce Pearl say a billion times? Defense and rebounding travel in the SEC. This is a game where Auburn would love a rock fight, not because necessarily that you know you want to see Auburn's offense struggle, but Tennessee when they have lost this season. They have lost their games where they clearly haven't had their best on offense. Auburn has won some rock fights this year. Auburn has lost some high-scoring games this year. It's a little bit more fitting for Tennessee where it's just like you got to slow. You're not going to stop Dalton Connect. You're not going to stop all these dudes on offense. But if you can get them off their game, get them in their the efficiency, make them go one and done. You know, take some tough threes and, and miss them. That puts Auburn in a much better perspective. I expect this scout and I expect the implementation of this defense for Auburn to be so – I mean, I, I just expect them to have such a really good game plan on defense. Now, whether they do it or not is one one question, but I expect Auburn to really put a ton of emphasis on defense. 
And I think that's kind of the underrated part of what they did against Georgia. They started so well on defense. They came back with their defense. And those new guys in that starting lineup held their own on the defensive end as well. And that's key, especially with Jalen Williams out. The secret sauce for Tennessee, uh, in, well, one of one of the uh, one of the the things that makes them so dangerous is they are so comfortable scrumming it up under the basket. You know, when it's when it's time to go get rebounds, they destroyed A and M uh, in in rebounding. A and M missed forty eight shots and got ten offensive rebounds. Like you're you're that's that's trouble. Right against a team like Tennessee, and for it to, I think Tennessee out out rebounded fifty to thirty overall, or something in that something in that ballpark. But it was on top of what Tennessee has in the backcourt at guard, and and I mean when when they're uh you know they they have bigs who are very comfortable uh, in their role. I do, uh, and in and some of uh you know their their uh their their other rebounders like that's a that is a team that. Well- when I do is playing well, when I do is playing well, Tennessee usually wins. He has been a very big, big key, key factor for them this year. And he doesn't necessarily have to be scoring no. to to play well. Like Great he can, defender. He, yeah, he can impact the game in other ways and and let uh, uh let let his counterparts uh and and that's I'd say and Ziggler's Ziggler's a really tough matchup for any point guard too. I think that's going to be something we talked about. Uh, Auburn Auburn guards struggling with ball pressure. Georgia, I don't know if they're necessarily the the best team at at sending uh, sending a ton of pressure at the point guard. I, I think that whoever's got the ball for Auburn on Wednesday night is going to be, especially in the backcourt, they're they're going to be hounded constantly. Viscovi and Ziggler are, I mean, they they are they are just a a really really difficult matchup. And so Auburn's, I mean, it's it's crucial to. And it's not just on the point guard. Like guys have no, to be working to get open. I mean, you have to give it it's like um it's like a quarterback facing the blitz, right? Everyone right. has to everyone has to be ready for the ball at all times in the half court because you might need to provide a uh, you might need to provide a, an outlet uh for for a, a point guard who has to get rid of the ball in that moment. Yeah, and I think for Auburn it's like no one's gonna expect you to walk into knock in Knoxville and win if you can. You have a chance at a, at a banner. If you don't, you're still in a pretty good spot moving forward. But you know, it makes that state game a little bit more important. Makes that you know, obviously Missouri and Georgia wrap it up as well. Auburn's got a shot just to take advantage of it. Painter, before we before we move on to football, just all right. Vibe check from you heading into this Tennessee game. This was his again. This it's not for clear cut first place. You know, solo first, but. Auburn wins, they'll be they'll be tied for the league lead, and and uh, it's about as big as a game as you can get. With all the caveats you've mentioned, we understand that this is a hard game because Tennessee's talented, and that's a tough arena to play in. And generally, just playing on the road in college basketball means not getting the same results that you get when you play at home or neutral site. All that stuff, all that fluff, all that context. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if they won a big game on the road? I'm I'm trying to go back and think the big win two seasons ago on the road that they had. I mean, they won the at Bama. You know, they won they won a pretty big game against. And I know Bama didn't end up that Bama team didn't end up being you know awesome. But you look, that team lost at Arkansas. They lost at Tennessee. They lost at Florida. Um, and so well, now it's so. The Arkansas win earlier this year felt really special in the moment. Yeah, it did. It and felt look, like, hey, like, like here's the thing: they've got four road wins this year. They're the talk about like, hey, Auburn can't win on the road. They've got four road wins. That's a great year for Auburn on the road in SEC play throughout its history. 
they've only won five like a couple of times and um or you know a couple of times in a bruise i always i always go i always go back to the win in knoxville right before the 2020 season ended right when auburn when auburn was able to win that game uh the final regular season game in 2020 uh against a, a tennessee team that was that was playing very well down the stretch as as uh you know as in, in a sec that was you know that was that was a competitive year in the league and for Auburn to, you know, they played one of their best games of the season on the road, pulled away from Tennessee, seemed like they were rounding into form uh, right before the, the 2020 postseason was, uh, was, was abruptly canceled. But that was a, uh, you know, that, that felt like a, you know, a, a, a huge road triumph, especially when you think about, cause we haven't even mentioned it. Like Bruce Pearl did spend yeah. a couple, couple of years in, uh, in, in Tennessee as the, as the head coach before this whole Auburn thing started. And there are, you know, there are deep ties uh, to mm-hmm. that area for, for the Pearl family. So it's, it's gotta be very special, very emotional uh, to return to Tennessee as the head coach of a different SEC school, even one uh, th- that he's led for as long as, as he's been at Auburn. It's going to be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, before we get to Wednesday's game against Tennessee, though, Auburn football opening spring ball on Tuesday. Schedule just kind of s- setting it up. They're going to have some practices here this week, and then they take spring break off. This is kind of like the first week to get acclimated, uh, to get everybody back, you know, kind of in the swing of things. And then when they turn for spring break, you can really kind of lock down and go. We've seen this format a couple times here the last few years for Auburn. They open spring ball. We'll talk about it a ton, and we'll spend the offseason talking about it a ton. So we don't want to kind of belabor every single point here but just generally dan heading into and painter as well uh i'll ask both of you guys this just heading into spring ball we know you don't learn a ton in spring ball and it's not one of those things where you get like earth shattering uh moves and and there could be a lot of stuff that happens after spring practices between now and the fall for auburn but like what generally are you looking for? Like, what are you looking forward to hearing about? See it, seeing the most from this team in a in a football like setting. You know, football like substance that we're going to get here over these next few weeks uh, as Auburn heads into a, a a very critical year two under under Hugh Freeze. It's cliche to pick the quarterback uh, as the answer to a question like that, but I I do think the number one thing this spring is, and I don't want to dismiss the possibility that Holden or Hank, or Walker could make a push. But I think the number one question for this coaching staff is, is can Peyton Thorne show you that he can be your quarterback in 2024 and win you enough that you feel comfortable moving forward as a program? Or is this is this quarterback situation urgent? Do you need to add someone to this room? Do you need to go shopping in the portal? It's... Uh, to me, that's that's what you know, that that's what the primary focus is going to be, and and a lot of that's on Peyton Thorne because he's the one who's played actual college football compared to the rest of these guys, and he's uh, he's you know I, I think that the the hope would be you know, plan A would be that Peyton Thorne shows you that he can be uh, he can be your quarterback, and and that that position is not a concern, uh, and and he's he's ready to take a big step forward in his first full off season as Auburn's quarterback. If, if he shows you something else in the spring, maybe that, that spring, you know, that, that portal window opens nine days after a day, April 15th 
is is when the uh, the spring portal window opens up for football. Uh, well, you know, I think Auburn's got to got to figure out uh, whether or not they need to go looking for a quarterback in that portal window. I would say my expectations at quarterback are very tempered, so I I don't have as much intrigue around that. I, I sort of think that I know how that's going to go. Obviously, open to being proven wrong. What I'm most curious about is wide receiver and defensive line, which may be a futile exercise in spring ball because we're going to get lots of optimism, and that's fine. But my question is, can the the youth in those groups, can the inexperience in those groups uh, progress as the offseason moves along, progress as the season when it arrives moves along, and can they help Auburn win a couple games or be in a couple games that we otherwise thought that they might not be. And I don't expect for those two position groups to be world beaters. We know how important they are, and we know how well Auburn has recruited at some of those spots. And there is plenty of reason to be excited and get excited about the offseason as it pertains to uh, to those two position groups. Yeah, and as a reminder, uh, for those of you who might not be keeping track of everything going on with, with rosters and all that in the offseason, uh, Cam Coleman and Bryce Kane, uh, the two of the four, two of the freeze four, so to speak, at wide receiver, will be in for spring ball. Um, Coleman, obviously, the the you know the superstar talent there. The other five star, Perry Thompson, uh, will arrive along with Malcolm Simmons, uh, one of the four stars in uh, you know later in the year. But Bryce Kane, I wrote about him recently. I really like Bryce Kane a lot. His speed is off the charts. Uh, I think he could be a guy that takes some people by surprise here. And then defensive line, you know, I'm interested to see where Keldrick Falk fits into the picture with a new defensive line coach, obviously who's familiar with the program, but a new defensive coordinator, maybe some shakeups to the way this Auburn team runs their defense. Where does Keldrick Falk fit into the picture? You've got two transfers, Engage Keys and uh, Trill Carter, which we haven't talked about him a ton. On the on the podcast painter, I'm 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 sure you I'm sure you're excited about the the prospect of a guy named Trill playing playing for Auburn. I mean that's you know that's just you can't beat that. Uh, but uh, you, you you've got those two guys. Um, your edge rushing Sm- and smocking smocking exactly. Uh, you you've got yeah edge rusher and defensive line. I'd be interested to see how they kind of figure out like who's what. But you got Amaris Williams, the big five star from North Carolina. He's in Jamonte Waller, the edge rusher. Uh, really, really highly rated player. He's also went. You know, how do those guys kind of sort themselves out early on? You still have, um, you know, Jason Jones, Zeke Walker, maybe some other ones. Bobby Jameson, Travis is a guy to keep in mind. You do have Jalen McLeod back, like that defensive line. Like, but you're absolutely right, Penny. That group's got to have to step up. They lost Marcus Harris. They lost Justin Rogers. Like they've, they've got some some key spots to replace this year. And you look at the turnover in the secondary, the turnover on the defensive line. You've got some returning dudes and some new guys that you really like at, at linebacker. But this is such a new look defense. And I think that's the thing that I would say is probably going to be the most intriguing thing for me. How much does this defense look different under a new defensive coordinator, under uh, you have several new staff members on that side of the ball? You've got transfers. You've got freshmen coming in. You lost some key players like, I'm going to go into spring ball with a clean slate approach on defense because it's like I think guys could be on the move. I think I think there could be a lot of a lot of differences there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's spring ball. Like Painter said, I think he had a great point. Like, there's going to be a lot of optimism, a lot of fans, especially fans who are excited about the direction of the program. And I know that's not everybody, 
um, you know, especially with a third straight losing season. But the fans are especially excited about the direction of the program with the recruiting and all that, and and they and they're they're believing in Freeze and his staff, and they're buying into buying into what's going on right now. There's going to be a lot of optimism. People are going to be really really excited. As I wrote last week, SP Plus projections has Auburn, eh, six seven win team again this year. What's going to be, what is it going to take for them to kind of take that step forward from that? You're not going to learn a lot of those answers in spring ball, but you get the beginning, the kind of the roadmaps to figuring out uh, those things. So that'll get underway on Tuesday. We'll have coverage of that. We'll obviously have coverage of all the basketball coming up this week. Like I said, if you're not a subscriber yet to the Observer, this is the perfect time to jump on. We got a ton of stuff coming your way for men's basketball and football here over the next several weeks. You know, I'm going to be in Knoxville this week, be in Missouri next week. We'll be in Nashville the week after that for the SEC tournament. We'll be wherever um, life takes us for uh, <laughs> uh, for the NCAA tournament. Um, so we'll be we'll be all over the place. But we'll continue to give you a ton of newsletters and podcasts, getting you ready uh, in both sports, men's basketball and football uh, for Auburn. All right, we'll be back later this week uh, to look at the Tennessee game, look ahead to the Mississippi State game, and talk some spring football as well. That's just that'll just be for subscribers though. So sign up. It's a great time to do it. Like I just said, that'll do it for me. Painter, final thoughts. Dan, it has come to my attention. It was pointed out by someone very smart on uh, on this on this little powwow we're doing that Oliver and Company and the Land Before Time came out on the same day, like a cartoon version of Barbie versus Oppenheimer. So, Dan, can you tell me something about this? Can you give me some information about what's going on here? Well, do, do you know what do you know what Oliver and Company and The Land Before Time are? Yes, when I was uh, okay, when, I was okay. A, yep. when I was a kid, those were both in the VHS uh, rotation. Yeah. So no. So it was a. Uh, I, 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 I was reading about Don Bluth as one does, and uh, he was an animator who sort of started a. Uh, you know, he was he, he left Disney and started his own sort of upstart animation company as, you know, Spielberg was helping him and, and he made films in the 80s and 90s like The Land Before Time, All Dogs Go to Heaven, um, uh, Rock-A-Doodle, uh, which is one about a, a, a chicken that sings like Elvis Presley and helps the, the sun come up. Uh, there's 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 others in there as well. But, uh, you know, Disney has largely been unchallenged as, you know, the, the top animated film brand since the medium was invented uh but there was a time in the 80s where you know other other for any and even since the 80s too you've had you know like dreamworks and i guess universal now with the the minions and stuff like that but but it's a you know they, they've had other companies have come for their share as well and i guess the closest anybody came to really uh overthrowing disney was you had uh you had oliver and company and land before time it came out on the same day, which which seems crazy to me that like in an era where only like two or three animated films would be released in a whole year, they decided to just say, yeah, let's 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 match these two up against you. You know, let's have a, let's play a game of chicken between uh, Disney and uh, and Amblin. Uh, but they released you know these two movies on the on the same day, and um, I think The Land Before Time actually won. Like the opening, I think Land Before Time had a better opening weekend, but then Oliver and Company made more money. Like in its in its theatrical release, I, I I forget how it actually played out, but it was not just it it seemed uh it seemed wild to me that there'd be such like a such a face off between 
you know, move, move, you know, cartoon movies for kids, you know, that are, uh, that, that, that were being released. And, uh, and I'm, but, uh, uh, Justin, you've, uh, you, you, you're, uh, you're close with someone who enjoys Disney has all, is, are you, are you familiar with Oliver and company? Yes. Yeah. Oliver but, and company. It's probably one of the, of that era. It's probably one of the ones that I remember the least, um, but is definitely one I have seen before. Never got into land before time. I wasn't a dinosaur kid. I didn't really like dinosaurs. I know a lot of a lot of kids my age, you know, growing up were, were super into them. I, I never got into the, never got into the land before time movies though. But yeah, Jurassic Oliver Park, Company. Jurassic Park, Spielberg clearly a dinosaur kid, right? Between, oh, yeah. I mean, pr- producing Land Before Time, making Jurassic Park, like that was a that's a dinosaur kid. And uh, and yeah, I was. Uh, I I enjoyed Jurassic Park, but I was not I was not a you know as as into dinosaurs as some of uh you know some some of my peers either. I also wanted to use this time. JT uh, asked for a mailbag, Oscar picks. I gave mine. Dan, I, I want to know if you you have yours off the top of your head. Best picture. I gave yeah. Yeah, yeah, Painter. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna put you on the spot here uh, for 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 this one. This is more of Dan's wheelhouse. I did. I so best picture. I did Killers of the Flower Moon. Which one are you going with? This is your pick, not who you think is going to win. Who you who you think should win? Yeah, I I would I would say with the concession that I haven't seen uh, a couple of the a couple of the the films. Uh, Zone of Interest is, is one that I I you know I just I'm I'm stealing myself to 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 go see zone of interest sometime, but it just sounds so bleak that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I loved flower moon. Like it really, it's, it's, it's probably going to, you know, I'm, I'm also going to think of that as, as my favorite movie of, of 2023. Um, I, you know, I, as far, as far as actor goes, I'm, I thought Giamatti was outstanding in the holdovers, I, you know, and, and the holdovers, the holdovers could pull ahead as my favorite movie. Sure. Of of twenty twenty three, but I would you know I I don't know if I would say it's a better movie uh, than I, uh, Killers of the Flower Moon. I, I I my best actor pick was uh, was was Painter's Boy, Killian Murphy for for Oppenheimer. Got to got to got to give him got to give him the love there. Uh, best actress, I had uh I had I had Emma Stone in Poor Things. I didn't love Poor Things as much as other people did as a movie, but I thought she was ridiculously good especially compared to the other um nominees in that in that field this year it's fearless a fearless performance by emma stone in a movie i didn't necessarily love but but i thought was was interesting and and well made i would still probably go with lily gladstone like there's some mm-hmm. some really there's some really powerful stuff uh that, that she uh is is the center of uh in in killers of the flower moon and it also um you know it's 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 largely her story right it's it's about you know even though we're we're following DiCaprio like she's she's the you know she's the the victim at the center of of this of this scheme and she is you know sort of the the character is the emotional core of the movie and i think that uh that that she delivers a performance that that really centers and 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 reminds you of the evil of of what these other characters are doing um so so I did also did supporting actor and supporting actress. Um uh Devon Joyner Randolph for the holdovers was supporting actress. And I went just because I felt like I this is the this is the performance out of this category that stood out to me the most. It probably won't win. But I went gosling and Barbie. Like it, it just dude went for the rafters that whole movie and it and, and incredible. And it you know, there's a lot of good there are a lot of good nominees in both of the supporting actor. And actress uh, categories this year, but 
I'm going to be thinking about Gosling's Barbie performance, a movie I've now seen multiple times uh, for a while. I'm always number two. No one knows how hard I tried. Oh, oh I, I have feelings that I can't explain. Driving me insane. All my life been so polite.